Hi, I'm Shekhar Gupta and I welcome you to my weekly podcast based on my column, National Interest. Catch it every Saturday morning. The chiefs of the RSS or Sarsang Chalaks as they are called are about as abstemious in their speech as they are in their real lives. They are people with few needs, they eat very little, they live very simply, they travel very simply and at the same time they speak very little if at all. And that is the reason that political pundits, political watchers, the media all wait for their annual lecture, the annual event at Nagpur when on the day of Vijay Dashmi they deliver their annual speech which is like their equivalent of the State of the Union address. The current chief Mohan Bhagwat is a break from the mostly silent past. He speaks more often but also measures his words carefully, particularly when compared to his immediate predecessor K. Sudarshan who was a headline writer's delight. Bhagwat isn't any of that but he still makes the headlines as his interview with the RSS mouthpieces Panjani and organizer did this week. Finally, he is also the chief, chief of the RSS. Finally, he is also the chief in an environment unprecedented in the Sangh's nearly 100-year-old history. The Sangh, by the way, was founded on 27 September 1925. For 90 years until 2014, and you know why we say 2014, the RSS, had been, the RSS had been on the defensive and not just on the defensive, they were in an adversarial relationship with the establishment of the day and struggling for vital social acceptance and political relevance. Today the RSS isn't just a part of the establishment, it is the very core of the establishment. In fact, this establishment is nothing without the RSS. Bhagwat acknowledges this first up in the Panjanya slash organizer interview. In the past, he said the challenges or kantak, kantak as the thorns, kante uh, is the expression he uses, they, they, they were of intellectual and political rejection and criticism. Now that political environment is transformed obviously to the benefit of the RSS. He then goes on to lift the challenges and pit, pitfalls, the new ones, the new challenges and pitfalls, which we will discuss in about a bit. If you do want a better idea of the things he said, you, you can also check out my episode of Cut the Clutter on his speech. I will share a link with you. Cut the Clutter, as you know, is mostly, almost entirely opinion free. So that, that analyzes what somebody said, did, what happened, what might happen, etc, etc. This national interest is my opinion. So this is opinion on the Bhagavad speech and what does it show as the future for the RSS here on. The Sarsang Chalak notes quite correctly that the political environment has transformed radically and for the better for the RSS. The RSS therefore is the most, most powerful it's ever been in its history. At the same time, I would also argue that it has never been so weak. So how can an organization be the most powerful in its history and, it, and the most weak, the weakest at the same time, the most powerful and the weakest at the same time? Have I gone nuts? No, I haven't because I haven't argument. So, if I have an argument as I claim, how do we resolve this contradiction? How can an institution be the most powerful ever and also the weakest ever? That's politics. The new transformed environment Bhagwat notes has placed the pupils of his organization in key positions of power. Almost anybody senior in the cabinet, barring a couple of people who brought in laterally, 
they've all been from the RSS. Irrespective of which side of the ideological divide you are on in the larger national political debate, you would agree that RSS is now ruling India. There is no doubt about that. Like it or not, RSS is now ruling India. Narendra Modi is not Bihari Bajpayee to pretend to distance himself from his alma mater or be defensive about his ideological upbringing. Again, unlike the Vajpayee years, when the RSS often bickered with him, sometimes in public, we have never seen any whiff of that with Modi. If anything, we have only seen fulsome praise of Modi from the RSS. That is the reason we argue counterintuitively that the RSS is at its weakest in terms of influence while at its strongest politically. Because political power has now been outsourced to the BJP, to Modi government, to the political side. Even if the RSS is still in principle Modi's guru, Prime Minister Modi's guru, nobody would dare to whisper a word of advice to him or to counsel him. Forget some whiff of criticism. That is not going to happen. When the Shishya grows into such a popular and domineering leader, the guru has no choice but to sit on the sidelines and applaud from there, which is what the RSS is doing now. It follows that the RSS now cannot make much news. It cannot question or embarrass the government of the day. It also has to calm down on some of the old divisive ideas or what were seen as socially repressive thoughts. It has the obligation now to be the good establishment boy. Power is heavy, but it also less fun because power brings in restraints. That is what the RSS is having to deal with now. An all-powerful RSS now has to make compromises over issues that are central to it ideologically, ranging from trade, international trade, to genetically modified seeds. You can now see that after being opposed to international trade agreements for a long time, Modi government is now aggressively and quite positively with an open mind negotiating free trade agreements with many countries. That is not something that in the classical RSS worldview would have been such a nice thing because RSS is, RSS is a lot more protectionist in its thinking, a lot more Sudeshian in, in, in its thinking and similarly genetically modified seeds. So the RSS again, uh, so Sudeshi Jagran Manch and other parts of the RSS, they have been suspicious of genetic modification of use of biotechnology in agriculture. Similarly, from collective leadership to an almighty personality cult and from alliances with the West to an aggressive outreach to the most important Islamic nations of the world. For sure, for sure, for sure, this position in power also brings the RSS and its members, especially its leaders, many benefits, which brings us back to the challenges and pitfalls as Sarsang Chalak mentioned in his Majanya slash organizer interview. Remember, when we mentioned this in the beginning, we said we'll talk about it a little bit later. So we are there now. The first is the news media or having to deal with the news media or the lore of featuring on the news media. Now that we are in this position, Bhagavad says, we have to engage with the media and we should. It makes us feel good, but we should also not become obsessed with it or become its prisoners. Similarly, now when we arrive at a railway station, people come to receive us, it feels good as well, you feel important, but we should not fall into this trap, he says, the translations are not exact, but accurate on the point of principle. Our people now sit in positions of power, he says, and sometimes they will do or say bad things and the organization will be blamed. We should do, we should certainly take some of that blame because that means this is where these people learned and maybe they did not learn all the good things. So far, so good with his arguments. 
then some complexities arise. The biggest is the challenge for the RSS to live its coveted new role as the core of the establishment after having been a rebel for nine decades. The limitations of formal power include the need to tamp down on rhetoric on your key political ideological issues or to nuance your views as Bhagwat has done in this interview. It isn't as simple as it might sound. If you built your history, fame and popular position all these decades on being on all these decades on being a constant rebel, on being at odds with the establishment, both political establishment and the intellectual establishment on the defensive, you've been on the defensive, or 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 riding the victimhood of majority Hindus, how do you move away from it? And where do you go if you move away? What's your next positioning? It is easier to make the transition on social issues than on the more visceral, ideological and political ones, like say, your view on Muslims and Christians. Bhagwat has done a neat job on the former, on social issues. He's repositioned the RSS on the issue of LGBTQ rights, for example. He cited history and tradition to assert the, the point. He cited history and tradition to assert the point that Hindu culture never had a problem with this, and that criticism was Western-inspired. Or more likely, because our intelligentsia and media blindly followed the Western viewpoint. Transgender people were always accepted in Indian society. They also have their own deities and temples. He said on, homose homo on homosexuality. Sorry, sorry, sorry. On homosexuality, he made a Mahabharat era reference to two commanders in the Jarasandh army, Hans and Dimbak. Further, he said, as a trained veterinarian, he has seen homosexual tendencies among animals too. This is a biological phenomenon, he said, from one leading a deeply religious and conservative organization saying this is progress. You won't usually hear similar views from Muslim and Christian religious leaders. The default opinion there would be that this is a mental disorder that can be cured usually through quote-unquote better religious training. Similarly, on population growth, Bhagwat disagreed with the call for a law to limit family size, coercion won't work, he said, better education will, progress again, and then yet again some bigger complexities take over. As you would expect, this is where the RSS's struggles on the Muslim question persist. In spite of the fact that it is in such enormous power right now, such dominating power in India. Birth rates, he said, aren't responsible for the increase in population. In any case, the larger problem is, and I quote, in any case, the larger problem is, quote, population imbalance. He brought up once again the examples of Sudan, Pakistan, and East Timor, which he said broke up because people of one faith, Muslims in two cases here, and Christians in other, became too numerous. He had given the same examples in his Dashara speech last year as well, which we had featured in our Kattak letter. There, he had added Kosovo as well. Kosovo also had, he said, broke away because of the same imbalance, because Muslims became a majority in Kosovo, because these were the districts, parts of Serbia, which were bordering Albania, which is predominantly Muslim. So, his argument basically was, with Kosovo, as with East Timor, as with the breaking away of Pakistan, as with Sudan, is that in a larger country where one faith is a majority, if in a limited geography also, another faith becomes the majority that can cause an imbalance leading to separatism. That's why he used his examples again. To sum up, he said population isn't the issue, population imbalance is. Who causes that imbalance? 
if not not birth rates he said birth rates are not the problem but conversion and infiltration are now how do you translate conversion and infiltration in political terms you don't need artificial intelligence simple human intelligence is enough you translate this politically what this means is christians and muslims because christians it is that the rss accuses of carrying out mass conversions muslims it is against who's coming in there are fears that there is mass mass illegal immigration take, taking place and foreign nationals are taking taking over parts of our country so to sum up translated this means christians and muslims then he goes on to say that christians want to convert the world the muslims feel so superior hindus have never had such notions and then there is a sizable sermon directed at, at the muslims which made the headlines in newspapers and launched many prime time discussions especially as it came linked to his idea that india or hindus have been at war over a thousand years at war with whom obviously at war mostly with muslims although you might say later the british also came into east india company but they been at war for a thousand years that period of the thousand year war coincides with the beginning of the major muslim conquests in the indian subcontinent now we are too strong to worry he said but only as long as we stay a hindu majority nation because he says it is only the hindus in the world in his view who believe in liberal democratic and secular principle for liberalism indian democracy democracy generally in the world and for secularism to survive india must have a hindu majority and india must remain a hindustan and in fact he uses the expression which rss always prefers which is hindu sthan sthan as in place not hindustan as say in pakistan afghanistan tajikistan kyrgyzstan not like that hindustan so he said hindustan ye hindustan hai ye hindustani rahega which means in his world view for indian liberalism democracy and secularism to survive hindus have to be predominant which brings us back to where we started in constant rebellion or in power the rss is still not resolved its brahmic or more precisely muslim dilemma will there be progress on it what can we do we can only wait for this sarsang chalak's next interview or speech